Hi, West Bulls. Thank you for tuning in. Hey, right off the bat, I want to throw a dilemma your way. This is a dilemma that was thrown out to over 200 different applicants for a job at a, at a major corporation about a year and a half ago. The dilemma goes like this. One night, you are driving through a storm and you come across a bus stop. At the bus stop are three different people that you notice sitting there. The first person is an elderly woman who looks to be very visibly having a medical emergency. The second person is a friend of yours that actually saved your life years prior. And the third person is the person of your dreams. You have daydreamed of meeting them. You've always, you've always imagined having your chance to interact with them and hoping that it would end in love. So the question is knowing that you only have space for one person in your car, who do you choose? This dilemma was given to, as I said, over 200 different applicants for this job. And there were, a, there were a variety of different answers for even more reasons. There were those who thought very nobly, who said, well, I, of course I'd put the elderly woman with the emergency in my car, and I'd take her to a hospital. There were others that came from a more grateful place who said, well, no, there, I, I owe my friend who had saved me years prior. And then there are those who just thought romantically and they said, listen, if this is my one shot with the person of my dreams, of course I'm taking them. And for all the different people and for all the different answers, there was one answer that stood out head and shoulders above the rest that amazed the interviewers. And their answer, I'll tell you in just a little bit. But first, I want to talk to you about what our response to dilemmas are, specifically What is our response to the dilemma that we have in front of us right now? As you look at the news headlines, as we engage with what's going on in culture and society, specifically the reaction to to the interaction between police and George Floyd a few weeks ago, as we see everything that that's producing in our culture, as followers of Jesus, what is our response? How are we to see? How are we to be? Because as you look across social media, as one friend of mine observed this past week, everybody has an opinion. But not only does everybody have an opinion, everybody is right, aren't they? I mean, you have those who who are about the action of all of it. And so protests have been the response from some people. For others, the response, as I've read on social media, is violence. Why not answer answer a wrong with violence. It's the only thing that would get the attention of those in authority. Still others have have thought about sitting down at a table and conversing with one another. But for us, how are we to be? And to answer that question, I actually want to take you to yet another dilemma. It's a dilemma that came to the front steps of Jesus one day. There were, there were a, a variety of groups that, that Jesus, when he walked in the world, there were a variety of groups that were on the scene, and a few of these groups actually came to Jesus. These were groups that would never interact with one another, but they came to Jesus one day, and the issue at hand was a very hot topic that day and age, and even this day and age at times, and it was the issue of taxation. We read about it in Mark chapter 12. Take a look with me. The Pharisees and the Herodians come to Jesus and they say, Teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity. Can you hear the flattery already? You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. But you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. 
is it right to pay the imperial tax? That's a tax that was levied on, on subject people to the Roman government. Is it right to pay the imperial tax or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? Now, before we go any further, it's going to be helpful to recognize the different groups that would have been standing there in that moment, and maybe even those who stood off in the distance with an opinion on this issue. First, you had the Zealots. And the Zealots are actually not mentioned here, but the Zealots were known for having a very strong opinion on taxation. Zealots were designated really as anybody who rebelled against the authority of Rome and using force to do it. It's pretty self-explanatory. They were filled with zeal or passionate intensity to fight for their ideals or, or even an institution. They saw themselves as fighting in the name of God, on behalf of God, and for the things of God. But most importantly with this issue, zealots just thought the Jews would be cowards if they continued to pay taxes to Rome. They saw Jews as cowering in the face of the, the authority of Rome. For them, taxation was equivalent to slavery. And so if you were a zealot, think like the rioting we're seeing right now. Not the peaceful protesters, but those who are looting, rioting, and even resorting to violence to advance their cause and what they think. Then you had one of the groups that's mentioned here in this passage, the Herodians. At the time of Jesus, there were just certain groups, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Herodians, that held, they held authority and power over the people. The Herodians specifically held political power, and many believed that they were a political party that supported King Herod Antipas. The Herodians favored submitting to the Herod family, and therefore to Rome. Taxes were just a given, and they really helped advance their cause. So when you think Herodians, think of whoever has majority control of the Senate or the House of Representatives, and all those that they represent. Now there's a third group there, that the passage mentions, the Pharisees. The Pharisees were an influential religious group within Judaism at the time of Jesus in the early church. They were known for their emphasis on personal faithfulness and personal reverence for God. Their acceptance of oral tradition and the written law and their teaching that all Jews should observe over 600 laws in the Torah, the Old Testament law. Among the Pharisees were really two schools of thought. One that really just had a hatred for anything Roman, including taxes. So they wanted to outlaw all communication and commerce between the Jews and the Gentiles. Which brings us to our dilemma. These are three groups that would never sit down at a table with one another. Because they could rarely agree on anything. But if there was one thing that they were united on, it was their opposition, whether directly or indirectly, their opposition to Jesus. So let's come back to this hot topic question that they're asking in order to trap Jesus. Remember the question? They asked Jesus, is it right to pay the imperial tax or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? Now there's something I want you to see here, and it's it's one little word that we use every single day. Should we pay or shouldn't we? There, there's a, a type of thinking that's happening right here, and it's either-or thinking. It's the kind of thinking in us that says, you're either for me or you're against me. It's either this or that, and, and there's nothing in between. 
And it's often how we think of citizenship. In fact, part of what they're getting at here is a question of their citizenship. That if they're not Roman citizens, but they're a subject people, should they pay the tax or not? And for them to engage in either-or thinking, was not, it was not just specific to them. It's what we do all the time. In fact, as we look at what's going on in culture in front of us right now, many of us are engaging in either-or thinking. It's either this or that. And you either see it like I do, or we're against one another. But Jesus is about to highlight in this conversation to them and to us that either-or thinking has its limits and it has its flaws. Take a look at where the conversation goes. Verse 15, but Jesus knew their hypocrisy. In other words, he saw past their words of flattery and he knew their hypocrisy. Well, what were they hypocritical about? He says, why are you trying to trap me? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought the coin. And this is so brilliant on the part of Jesus because it was as if he was saying, look, I don't have this this coin that would be used to pay the tax because I'm, I'm kind of in and out of, of culture and society here. But you have access to one. And in their bringing out the coin, they were really acknowledging that they take part in the system that they're asking Jesus to give them an answer to. And it's brilliant. It's kind of like when, when you're praying at the table. And when you get done and you say amen, somebody says, so-and-so was praying with their eyes open. And of course, the natural next question is, how would you know that? Because your eyes were open. In other words, we all participate in the system that that we have an opinion on. And so that either or thinking in us, we have to first look in the mirror and acknowledge we play a part in it. You don't have to like maybe capitalism. You don't have to like the economic practices of our government. But we all take part. We all participate in it. And Jesus is going to drive them and he's going to drive us to a point here. They brought the coin and he asked them, Whose image is this? And whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. And as they would have looked at this coin, and if you could have looked at this coin, you would have seen on one side of the coin, there would be an image of Tiberius Caesar. And the inscription would have said, basically the equivalent of the son of the divine. The equivalent of the son of God. And on the other side, if you were to turn it over, you'd see the image of Caesar's mother. And the inscription would have referred to her as a priest. Now, To the Pharisees, this would have been complete blasphemy. To the Jews in general, this would have been blasphemy because they didn't subscribe to this line of thinking. And yet, here they were using the currency. And that's just, what was true of them is actually true of our own reality as well. We operate and we participate in an imperfect government system and even political structure in which people can be held up to maybe higher position, higher status than they ought to be, rather than their rightful position within governmental authority or a political structure. But we participate in that system, and this is part of the tension we navigate, is how high or low do we hold the views of a person that has authority in our land, in the land that we occupy, that we pay taxes in, that we abide by the laws within? Well, 
Jesus is making a point. And here's where he goes next. Then Jesus said to them, Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's. In other words, that, that political structure and the governmental authority that you're questioning right now, Jesus says, you know what? It's legitimate. It, it actually has a legitimate place. It, and elsewhere in scripture we read, God actually established the authorities of the land. In other words, maybe the best way to say this is that obedience to government governs some of our lives. Obedience to government governs some of our lives. But here's what happens. We all have maybe this inner zealot that, that when, we, when we look at what the, the government and the governing authorities put out there, we think, ah, and we, and we resist and we want to fight against it. Still others of us, maybe there's an inner Herodian that we think, well, Depending on, depending on which side of the political aisle we're on and which one's in power at the time, we think, right on. Yeah, pay your taxes, advance the cause. Only to turn into a zealot, you know, years down the road when the other side of the political aisle is in power. And then still others of us, we've got this inner Pharisee that we, we don't love the fallenness of the, of the system that we participate in, and so we very begrudgingly participate in that system. And there's just no joy about it. And Jesus is saying, look, it's a coin. If it has Caesar's inscription on it, then pay your taxes. It's a coin. Pay your taxes. It's a stop sign. Come to a full stop at the stop sign. I hope my children are not watching this right now. It's a speed limit. Just go the speed limit. But don't miss the point here. Jesus said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. But he didn't say how much actually belonged to Caesar. See, governing authority in our lives, obeying the government, governs some of our lives. Maybe the best way to to explain that was years ago when I had my mowing business, one of my gas cans broke. And as it was beginning to trickle out gasoline, I had to find something to put that gasoline in while I figured out what to do. Nearby, there was a plastic, a giant plastic like deep rock water jug. And so I emptied the gasoline into that water jug and I thought, it'll be fine if it just sits overnight. And the next morning, I woke up and I went to get the gas out of the, out of the plastic deep rock water container and the gasoline had eaten completely through the plastic container. And like a water jug that's trying to hold something as powerful as gasoline, our governmental structure and obedience to it can only hold some of our lives. And that's what Jesus is getting at. That there's something more inside of you. And so he finishes that sentence with this. Verse 17. Then Jesus said to them, Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. And there's a little word in there that we didn't see earlier. Earlier we saw the little word or. Because to them, everything was about the or. It was the or of their citizenship. It's either this or that, and everything feels like it hangs in the balance, and it all hangs from that. And Jesus says, yes, that's, there, there's some truth to that. There, it, there is something to your citizenship, but there's an and here. And. And it's a different starting point for them and for us. He says, yes, there's citizenship, and there's the question of ownership. 
So when he asked them the question, whose image is on that coin? And they answered Caesar. He said, that's an ownership thing. Give this coin, give that tax to Caesar. Because it's an ownership thing. But if we're going to talk ownership, then let's ask another question. Not just whose image is on the coin, but whose image is on you and on me. Whose image is on the human heart? And this is what Jesus is getting at. The question of ownership. Because Jesus knew that the answer for them and the answer for you and me was a, was a distorted image of God. That God originally created us and, and he stamped us with his image, which means ownership. We belong to him. And Jesus says, even though that image got distorted, well, that's why he went to the cross. To redeem and restore that image and restore us to our rightful owner, our heavenly father. But then there's the act of giving it back. See, to give to Caesar what is Caesar's is an act of stewardship. But to give back to God what is God's, what is rightfully his, that's an act of worship. See, when ownership becomes our starting point, worship becomes our focal point. And Jesus is able to say that obeying government governs some of our lives, but worshiping God, well, that governs all of our lives. Earlier, we talked about a few groups that may have been standing around that day. The zealots somewhere in the distance. We know the Pharisees were there. We know the Herodians were there. But perhaps there was a fourth group standing there that the text doesn't really make clear. But presumably, somebody from this fourth group was standing there for us to even know about this, for this to have been written down. And the fourth group was the disciples. The disciples, and I think what strikes me so much about the disciples of Jesus is that when you look at, at the group of disciples, those three groups we referenced earlier, you could see some semblance of them in there. I mean, you had a zealot, Simon the Zealot. He was one of Jesus' disciples. And then you had somebody that the Herodians, even though he may not have been a Herodian, they certainly would have approved of, a tax collector named Matthew. And then later down the road, there was this, this Pharisee. Uh, he... he played a a small part in in bringing us the New Testament, a man named Saul, who would become Paul. A zealot, somebody similar to the Herodians, and a Pharisee. And yet, they were all disciples. And see, what a disciple understands is that obeying government governs some of our lives. But a disciple also understands that worshiping God, that governs all of our lives. So what that means is you obey government as long as you can, but you worship God as long as you live. And that means a couple practical things, really perspective-giving things. Number one, our citizenship, the structures that support it, the structures that that, uh, feed into it, our citizenship is too small of a thing to fully express the ownership of God and the worship of God. So what that means is, Don't place all your hope in our political structures and our governing authorities. It's just too small of a thing to live for. And it's like having gasoline inside a plastic bottle. It just can't contain it. And it can't fully express it. Or if we were to use Jesus' example, it'd be like going outside and staring at the mountains and holding up a coin and just focusing on the coin over and over. 
or looking in the mirror and just focusing on the coin over and over and over. And it says in God we trust, and there's this image of a person, when God says, no, I want you to look at you. And I want you to look at whose image is on you. Because our government structures, they were, he didn't create those to be his highest expression of his image. You know what he created to be the highest expression of his image? Us. Jesus Christ. You and me. The church. And so that means when an order comes from state or local authorities that says we've got to close down our doors, we've got to close the doors to our building for the safety of people, we can be okay. That doesn't compromise our worship. It doesn't because governing orders can't do that. But the the second thing, the second perspective we've got to have in mind is not just that our, the structures supporting our citizenship are too small to express ownership and worship of God in the other direction. Our worship of God should inform our citizenship here in this country. In other words, worship is the starting point. And we don't necessarily place all of our hope in human beings as leaders. We don't hope in, but we pray for Because as someone observed a while back, ultimately, those that hold office, political office, you know who they are? They're us. We elected us. And you may be sitting here going, well, I didn't vote for that person, and I didn't vote for that person, but wait four or eight years, and there will be somebody that probably aligns more with you, and we'll be looking around saying, yeah, we elected us. And we're reminded elsewhere, Paul in Romans 13, he says, pray, pray for your governing authorities. And think about who was in power when Paul said this. It was Nero, the tyrant Nero, who held no Christian ideals. He was out to completely exterminate Christians. But it also means that where, where the governing structures of our country, when they get in the way of worship and when they get in the way of the expression of God's image, in the human heart, then we stand. We stand for justice. We stand for human dignity. Why? Because that's what Jesus did when he went to the cross. He went to the cross to restore a distorted image of God. And so we stand for that, regardless of race, regardless of nationality, regardless of skin color. The disciple of Jesus uses worship as the starting point to inform every other part of their lives. The disciple of Jesus looks in the mirror and they ask the question that Jesus asked, whose image is this? And then they answer the question, God's image. And then that disciple lives a life of worship that gives to God what is God's. So as I come back to that dilemma that we began this morning with, there was, I mentioned there was one answer that stood head and shoulders above the rest, and it amazed those that were giving the interview. There was a man who said, well, if I'm looking at these three people at the bus stop, what I would do is I would give my keys to the friend who had saved my life years ago, let him take the elderly woman to the hospital, and I would sit and wait at the bus stop with this woman of my dreams. See, it wasn't an either-or answer. It was a both-and answer. And the interviewers were amazed. And you know how this account ends? 
these groups that had come to attack Jesus because they wanted to box him in to, to a perspective and a viewpoint. You know what it says? And they were amazed at him. You know, that's, that's a little different than the place we normally sit, isn't it? See, most of the time, when, when there's something going on in culture or society that's just incredibly volatile, and it provokes a response and a reaction and an opinion, most of the time we're attacked or we go on the attack. We're appalled or we cause somebody to be that way. But what if? What if people looked at followers of Jesus and they were amazed? Not at us, but at the Savior who lives in us. People who live a life of worship as a first priority in order that people would see it and be amazed. Do you know what that would look like? I think that would look like being able to support a protest because it's not a political statement, but it's really standing for justice and human dignity. Being able to also pray for our police and the leaders of our country, whether there's agreement with their decision-making or not. But ultimately, people being amazed at followers of Jesus begins with us looking in the mirror and looking out the window and being able to answer the question, whose image is that? And recognizing that regardless of somebody's actions, regardless of our own actions, at the core of it is the image of God that Jesus went to the cross to restore and redeem. And so with that in mind, let us not forget that obeying governing authorities, that does govern some of our lives. But worship of God, that governs all of our lives. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who just sees so beyond what we see. And while we spend so much of our time and energy and effort living in or trying to avoid the either or, you see with the eyes of both and. In other words, yes, we have citizenship, and yes, we, we submit to governing authorities, and we worship our Heavenly Father because of his image upon us. Let that drive everything and be of utmost priority in our lives. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. West Bulls, thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you soon.